Hi everyone, my name is Lisa Green. I'm a first year. I'm the Vice President of Religion and Culture at Hillel Society, and I'm so happy to be here. My name is Morgan Limmer. I'm a senior. I'm the Interfaith Fellow, and here today we have Chaplain Alex Hendrickson. Hello, thank you for inviting me. I want to start out by giving a shout out to Grandpa Herbie. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you listen to this, Herbie, so thank you so much for supporting us. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> totally unexpected. Well, we're so thrilled you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Um, just for anyone who you haven't met yet, we'd love to start out by asking what your role is on campus and what a typical day looks like for you. Okay. So I am the college chaplain and director of religious and spiritual life, which is a long title. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a Presbyterian minister. I've been ordained for 20 years, which is weird because, you know, I was just a mere child then when I was uh, ordained. Earlier this, earlier this month, it's, um, yeah, strange. So, um, mm -hmm. so I've been at Lafayette for nine of those years. Uh, before that, I've served as a hospital and hospice chaplain, mm -hmm. and I've also served um, congregational, uh, congregational ministry as well. So um, a typical day at Lafayette, gosh, uh, I think there really isn't one. <laughs> I, uh, you know, there's a kind of three main aspects. The religion, uh, religious and spiritual life is really advising the different religious groups on campus. We have a number of different active uh, religious organizations, uh, Jewish, Christian, um, Muslim, Roman Catholic, Protestant, all sorts of uh, different groups. We have, uh, we have had spiritual yoga before. We have Buddhist meditation. So a lot of it is administrative work related to those different student organizations. Um, some of the other places people see me uh, in a normal year when we're not in a pandemic is that things like convocation, um, we're getting ready to film and plan just this weekend. We will be working on uh, baccalaureate and we do uh, an interfaith, um, you know, uh, all, all, all sorts of folks participate, uh, baccalaureate service, um, commencement, so kind of these Big events. Sometimes, if there's a fancy dinner with the trustees, I get to get up and uh, give a little invocation. And then I also work um, in intercultural development. I have a close relationship with them. Um, advise Kaleidoscope, who are social justice peer educators. I work with uh, Refugee Action, um, who does uh, refugee resettlement. I just, I don't know, I talk to a lot of people on campus, I hear a lot about what's going on in people's uh, lives. Um, gosh, I'm one of the few uh, confidential folks on campus, and so outside of the Counseling Center, I'm another person uh, folks can talk to if they want to have a confidential conversation and know that it's uh, going to be kept, uh, you know, don't, don't talk to anyone else about those kind of conversations, so... Mm -hmm. well, that was a lot. <laughs> you do a lot of important stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all great. Well, we'll return to that kind of stuff later. Okay. But um, we're curious about like your childhood and growing up with religion. So, like, what are your earliest memories of mm. like experiencing your religion? Yeah, I've I've been asked this question before, so <laughs> I can remember very clearly driving home um, from church with my mom and my grandmother. My grandma, this was, you know, late 70s, early 80s, had a baby blue Plymouth 
car, which were those, you know, huge boats of cars. And I was complaining that I was hungry because in Sunday school we had only had crackers and apple juice. And my grandma, because we are Protestants, said, well, I only had a thimble full of grape juice and a <laughs> tiny little piece of bread. So uh, that was my introduction to the idea of sacraments. Um, is not a very expansive <laughs> view of them. But, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, in the same tradition I am now, which is Presbyterian, which is uh, one of the um, Protestant uh, denominations. Uh, my particular Presbyterian denomination PCUSA is kind of on the um, kind of moderate to liberal end of, of things. And um, yeah, just always grew up in the church, uh, youth group, camp, all the kind of typical things like that. I think one of the, the things that was, I grew up in a part of the country in Arizona where there were a lot of Mormons, uh, Latter-day Saints, very, um, I was definitely in the minority in my um, school growing up, and I think when you are in a minority space, I think sometimes you become more aware of your own identity because you're having to explain it to people a lot. And yeah. so that was um, that was so. Even though being a wasp, a you know white <laughs> Protestant, is actually kind of more a normal narrative for a lot of people. My experience growing up was that it was I was definitely um, not in the norm. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I think that only one in the room feeling really kind of almost gives you a pride in who you are and having yeah. to explain that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've definitely felt that. Yeah. Um, so we're curious, speaking of your childhood experiences and, and thinking about that memory at the church with your grandma, um, who were the other people in your life who kind of presented the view of religion that shaped you? Oh, gosh. Well, my mom, for sure. My mom has always been... My mom is very artistic and very, um, she's very theatrical. I remember vacation Bible school, her teaching us the um, American Sign Language and singing James Taylor's You've Got a Friend, if you are familiar with that song. That was like, so she was very involved in that kind of stuff. Um, just lots of wonderful family friends. I think of uh, Doug and Ann Kellemeyer were our youth leaders, a uh, wonderful couple, um, yeah, I just, again, my my church experience was pretty, um, it was really a safe space. I did not grow up with any kind of fire and brimstone kind of Christianity. I definitely grew up with the, like, nice jello salads on the, you know. <laughs> jello salads. Yeah. The, oh, the, my goodness. You know, the potlucks yeah. and making s'mores at the campfire. And, you know, there. I, I didn't ever feel a lot of, um, like, guilt. Or, no, that was really not the, um, you know, again, the like uptight waspiness, yes, right. but the very, um, again, a very expansive understanding of who was um, included. And again, I think that is a little bit over and against when you're in an area where there are some um, maybe more conservative religious folks, you see yourself more as like, oh, you know y'all are welcome, come on, and so I think that was, yeah, I just, I, I didn't ever have, I, I can't think of experiences, I mean, you know, you have your little moments here and there, like, you don't like this kid at camp yeah. or whatever, but I mean, overall, um, we had a woman associate pastor fairly early, so, you know, I, I saw that example as, like, oh, they're, you know, seeing a woman as a pastor was not a 
weird thing in my yeah. experience. So, yeah. Was there a moment in particular where you kind of said, I think I want to be a clergy person? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think in high school and I got really involved, like I was going to like these national conferences oh, for, oh. you know, and you, you get to go to these. Yeah, and you start meeting some of these people yeah. and you think, oh, this is really cool. And I think I already really liked the idea of being some sort of teacher or social mm-hmm. worker. Like I kind of knew that realm was probably the direction I was heading and so I think it um, it was just a real, like, oh, I saw some of these women that I thought were really cool. I did, I mean, I'm talking to the two of you, but, you know, I did a lot of speech and debate and theater. Yeah. So I also liked the idea when they would ask me to be the youth, you know, to the liturgist, you know, to get mm-hmm. up and read scripture or whatever. You know, I loved that. That appealed yeah. to my... <laughs> you know, theater nerd, oh, I'll get up and speak in front of everyone. That's great. And so, <laughs> so it sounds like that kind of, like, speech and performance and, like, speaking to an audience really, like, resonates with you. So, like, what else makes you feel connected to your faith? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think the communal aspect of it mm-hmm. and I really think about it this past year in the pandemic because there have definitely been times for myself but I think for a fair number of us where we're thinking what in the heck is going on what is happening and sometimes it's that idea that other people are out there like I don't have to do this by myself it's mm-hmm. part of this this community and so a lot of faith is is belief, but for me, a lot of it is the practice. And, you know, you work your way into that belief sometimes through the practice. Uh, you know, when you really don't feel it. Okay, I'm not feeling it today. But then you participate in some sort of ritual. You go to worship. You listen to whatever songs. And I think for me, it's that kind of reciprocal nature of it that is... I don't know why I'm talking with my hands. We're on a podcast. Well, it's still good. <laughs> well, there are lots of gestures going yeah, on. Just, yeah, that doesn't really to, yeah, just so you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, I'm a big poetry nerd. I mm-hmm. love um, just so many, so many things. And again, I am a big ecumenical interfaith person in the sense of I love hearing about other people's experience and what they, how they experience. And it's one of the best things about this job over the years, thinking about, you know, different uh, students I've interacted with. Um, yeah. There's just like so much to learn about. That's a huge reason why we started this podcast, yeah. because just having those conversations is like some of the best part in like parts of participating in like the faith. I don't know. Right. And people always say, you know, don't talk about religion and politics. But I think it's one of the best things to talk about. You know, it really gets at who someone is in a way nothing else can. Yeah. I mean, what is politics really is about people. And so, I mean, I think it I think you fool yourself if you think you can separate those out. Or I think it's a real example of privilege. You can say, I can choose not to have politics as part of my religion. Like, well, not everyone gets to do that. You know, when I walk down the street, people may or may not think anything about me and my religiosity, but other people don't have that privilege. And so what does that mean that I can choose to, you know, drop in and out when I feel like it? So Exactly. So go into that a little bit more. Like, how is your faith and your politics connected? 
years ago, I feel it might have been Professor Burkov, but I'm trying to remember who it was, but I remember we were sitting in the back of Interfaith Chapel having an Interfaith Council meeting, which you will get to do, Lisa, next I can't year <laughs> when we actually can meet in person. It's so much fun. But cool. someone talked about the idea of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I think one of the best ways to practice, for me, to practice my own faith, if, if other people can't practice their faith, how can I do so with any integrity? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about politics, if something about my faith practices are impeding or, or blocking others from having their faith or their non-faith, I mean, I, mm-hmm. including folks, but I mean... I think that's what's one of the things that's been really difficult, again, this past year, but also these past few years, is this idea that it's a zero-sum game. That if I get to do something, I only get to do it if you don't. Mm -hmm. And that just seems so antithetical to every faith tradition we know, right? It's, It's about community, and it's about sharing, and it's about making sure that, you know, your neighbor, I mean, as Christians, we talk about, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, you know, these these stories we talk about, and, um, you know, I just, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's political just in the nature of, I mean, we get into the politics of it for sure, but even just the idea of religious freedom. Freedom, but also, again, it, it's that reciprocity, it's that yeah. idea of, you know, if I can do something, but if my doing something is impeding you or keeping you, then it's like tied to um, like the right to take an ed- another right away is not a right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 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 I hear that. I hear that. And so, and it, when it comes to religion, that gets really tricky, right? Because okay. sometimes there are things that are really they seem at odds with one another. So mm-hmm. how do you? Reconcile. How do you reconcile? And as a person of faith, sometimes I feel the best thing I can do is actually give up some mm-hmm. of my rights or my privileges, however you want to mm-hmm. talk about this, to make it possible. You know, I think about, you know, we talk about it all the time on campus. Um, you know, people say, oh, this isn't a religious school. No, of course, it's not a religious school. It has a religious heritage. But we're still Christian in a lot of the ways we operate. And I don't even mean that in, I just mean, you know, when do we have break over Christmas? When do we schedule exams? When do we prohibit exams from being scheduled? You know, Sundays. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, when we think about a lot of the ways we operate, there is a lot of Christian privilege Mm -hmm. that I think is over in the coming years as we become more diverse you know, religious diversity is a big piece of that. I think there's going to have to be a lot of negotiation around, you know, what does that look like? And how do I, do I insist that no, you know, it needs to stay the way it is because that makes me feel comfortable. And it's sometimes really hard to spot when you've like grown up, grown up Mm. in the tradition. Like, like growing up with Christianity, I see a lot of, or at least I saw a lot of the things that the school did. I was like, oh, this feels familiar. This feels safe. Mm-hmm. Like they're being accommodating to students. But like as I've met other people with different faith traditions, I'm like, oh, wait, 
-hmm. No, this is just catering to what I know. Right. Well, like a lot of exams will be scheduled on a Friday night, you know, and if and if you're Jewish and you're celebrating Shabbat, that kind of puts you in the impasse, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it, it creates this interesting conversation mm -hmm. of now that we're getting more religious diversity, how do we cater to different people? And how, you know, if if there are very few people who practice the tradition, how do we still make them feel included? Yeah, not only feel included, but included. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think a huge piece for me is what you said earlier, Lisa, is somehow making sure that religion is not a taboo topic. Yeah. This is part of our diverse identities. Mm -hmm. And if we can't even talk about it and name it. How do we get anywhere? How do we get anywhere? Yeah. yeah. Why do you think it's so hard to talk about? I mean, it, 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 it's, it can be, you know, I talked about community and communal life, mm -hmm. but I mean, it is very personal. Yeah. I also have experienced, and again, trying to speak for myself only, but this idea that I think there are folks in the academy, in academia, that have this idea that if this this is some sort of superstitious nonsense that I should have mm -hmm. abandoned. And so why do we need to make accommodations for, you know, this silly practice we all have? And right. so, I mean, I think that's part of it. But um, again, like so many other things, gender, race, all these things are tied up really bound very tightly and um you know it's i just finished reading uh the book cast by um isabel wilkerson and she really does a great job of highly recommended book book recommendation um really talking about that you know i think we talk about intersectionality but uh, she really does a good job of explaining how deeply intertwined the roots of all of these identities and you know Christian, like hegemonic, whatever you want to call it, is real. Yeah. And so it's hard because like white privilege or whatever, people say, well, you want, you know, you want white people to feel guilty. You want Christians to feel guilty. No, but there is, at least in my reading of my faith tradition, there is a big responsibility to care for your neighbor. And, you know, and that's, that's real. Yeah. That's real. And that to me is... You know, that's not silly and superstitious. That's that's a core. That's a, a core value, a core practice. So, yeah. Do you mm -hmm. think Lafayette has kind of changed the way you see your neighbors and mm -hmm. and kind of brought about more of these interfaith experiences? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's something so amazing about this you know you're a first year student you're a senior you know this this path and to see you know even the other students you've talked to so far in this podcast mm -hmm. thinking about just how much work like emotional work intellectual work students do at this stage mm -hmm. in their lives and I think that when I see on top of that the ways folks, it's just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to practice your faith under any circumstances, but in the midst of college life. And yeah, so I mean, it's interfaith, but it's also just seeing just such a diverse population just work really hard. People kind of rag on college students and whatever, but the ones that I deal with the most are really smart and really 
thoughtful and really asking you know deep questions i shout out to mafia i know uh, <laughs> morgan lives on mafia floor but i think of that kind of a community that has existed at lafayette over the years and that is a group or others like that that really um you know do some of that cool uh late night hanging out mm -hmm. in the you know study room having these conversations it's pretty it's i'm sorry for folks who miss out on that opportunity because yeah. i think that's a really a school like Lafayette, there are really a lot of good opportunities for those um, those kind of conversations. So. Yeah, and uh, just as a side note, uh, we encourage you listeners to bring up those types of conversations with your mm -hmm. peers because it, it really is, it really shapes the way that you think and lets you see new things and have new experiences. So don't be afraid to start those conversations. Right. I feel like that's one of our goals in having these mm. conversations. You know, um, we were looking for a way to incorporate interfaith dialogue because I think it's so important. And, and starting that conversation is another way we kind of lessen the taboo around it, mm -hmm. which is really great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So how you mentioned it briefly, but how has your job changed since the pandemic? Mm. What? Are those struggles? What are those moments of victory? What is the experience? Well, it's easy to focus a little bit on some of the negatives, but I, I just posted on social media earlier today. I am really struggling with folks who still won't wear a mask or um. folks who still won't do whatever the things that are recommended for safety and again I think of this you know do unto others I mean again that's a mm -hmm. simplistic thing in a certain way but in other ways it's really not okay. and I think that outward sign of folks like if I see someone who's not wearing a mask and I say to them hey would you mind putting on a mask and then they we have a aggressive encounter which I has happened because I'm the kind of person who says hey would you put on your mask me too and it can be very depressing to see the people who, you know, in a way, they might not say it straight out, but they're essentially saying, I don't care about you. Right. I always say it's like you're wearing a T-shirt that says I'm selfish. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you don't matter to me. Right. It blows my mind, especially, right. you know, we're over, we're almost a year and two months into this. Right. This and is not new. Right. It's not like, that's why I think it's always intentional. You know, no one is unaware at this point. That's impossible. Right. It's really just, you know, going back to the political side of things and, and maybe that's intertwined. You know, it's really just saying, I don't take this seriously. I don't take your life seriously. That's what I think. My personal comfort is for like one minute is more important than the safety of your life. Like, mm -hmm. right. it's frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, and I haven't seen that you know, with a couple of glaring exceptions, but I, that, I haven't seen that as much on campus. A couple of months, a few months after I was ordained was um, September 11th. And when I really think about how that changed for a fairly good period of time, just our national rhetoric, but even our personal rhetoric, and just how we thought about interacting with one another, and some of the good that came of that, and some of the terrible things that came of that, you know, huge spike in Islamophobia and other things, it's, it's a similar feeling. It's not the same kind of an a, a international event, but it's a similar feeling for me in ministry of just how it really has brought people's values and beliefs and priorities into focus. 
And so some of the things that I think have been amazing, I mean, I'm thinking, we're talking about baccalaureate and I have been thinking about what I'm going to say, the part, my part of the, of the baccalaureate is really thinking about how, you know, for so long we talk to students who are graduating about, okay, you're about to go out into the real world now and deal with, well, y'all have been dealing with this, <laughs> you know? I mean, this is, you know, for good or for ill, it was zero to 60 into full-fledged adult, how are we going to live our lives? How are we going to care for our friends? How... I'm now pounding the table, folks. That's going to mess with the music, uh, the sound, but... That's okay. You all understand. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I think to me, the, some of the positives have been, or the, the at least enrichment has seen, you know, I knew you were awesome, Morgan, and, and so mature and so thoughtful, but to see it, how it's in action, and to see the ways that some folks have really chosen... Uh, students, faculty, staff have really chosen to care for one another. You know, that's been amazing. You know, or my neighbor, uh, Barry, Miss Barry Steiner, she did an online story time for little kids. She was a children's mm -hmm. librarian. You know, she did that for like a year. She wow. did these, you know, things people have done that are you know, again, if you ever watch movies about World War II or whatever, and you always think, I wonder what we would have, what would we have been like if we were faced with some of these big challenges? And to see the people who rise to the occasion is awesome. I mean, that part is good, um, you know, when I can leave aside my frustration about wear your darn mask. But yeah, <laughs> yeah you really see a lot of inspiring stories of people going like above and beyond. Uh, just with all the unfortunate circumstances. And I know that, like, in senior year, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of disappointing for things to end this way, but kind of mm -hmm. looking back and seeing how we were all able to, like, meet those challenges over the past year is inspiring. Um, and so I am excited for baccalaureate to kind of honor those challenges and victories. Well, you know who your true lifelong friends are. Right? You know the people that you've known here. These are going to be, I mean, so in that way, I think it's even more intensified those already intense college friendships that you make. But um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be something we're dealing with for a long time. And um, but then also finding moments of joy in between all of those things. And yeah. I think it makes you appreciate those moments more. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like it also kind of brings out the best or the worst in people. Mm -hmm. And and speaking of those best moments, getting back into faith mm -hmm. for a little bit, mm -hmm. how has your relationship with religion changed during mm -hmm. the pandemic? Has, has it intensified at all? Yeah. I So our church um, here in College Hill that our, my family attends um, is still all online. I mean, the worship is all online, though we do have a few outdoor activities for kids or things, but, you know, again, with all the social distance or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I have found it to be very, it's been very important to me in a lot of ways. And I've realized how much the visual nature of that has really been effective for me. Um, seeing people put prayer requests in the chat, you know, mm -hmm. please pray for my, mother who's in, undergoing cancer treatment, yeah. please pray. I mean, 
a faculty member at Lafayette who's a member of our church, you know, mentioned this week in prayers, you know, Lafayette students as they're going oh. through this time, you know, so those, there's something about reading them because normally they're, they're said aloud, which is great. Right. But there's been something about reading them like that, that really, um, yeah, I have found it to be, and to see how creative people have been with music and to, mm-hmm. um, you know, our pastor, uh, you know, seeing his son run behind him as he's uh, giving his sermon. And, you know, so I think in some ways it's made it um, earthier in a Mm -hmm. sense. Like we're, this is real. We're all doing this. You know, we might not be dressed up and sitting in a, you know, congregational setting. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, you know, again, I look forward to being back in person. But in other ways, I've really, um, it's been great to see how creative different congregations have been and different groups um, across a number of different, um, you know, I, uh, we had a, an interim rabbi here uh, last year who's a good friend of mine, Rabbi Shore. You know, I got to attend her son's bar mitzvah online. And oh, then, wow. you know, my daughter had her confirmation online. And so, you know, it's been to see some of that is, uh, again, very memorable. We'll say that at least. We'll see what our long-term feelings are but right now it's um just it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to do all this stuff on zoom i'm really curious uh not to jump around all over the place but i was just thinking it's it's really amazing how lafayette's only been a small part of your story Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm really curious about the other places you were a chaplain and specifically the hospital setting Uh, and i'd love to hear about those other experiences too yeah, so two different places um, when we lived in Austin, Texas, and then later when we were um, in Phoenix, uh, when my husband was getting his PhD, I worked for hospice. Mm-hmm. And I think those have been, both of those positions were really formative for me um, because you're invited into people's homes. Mm-hmm. You go see most of the time people in their homes, people who are at end stage of various illnesses. And often they're elderly, but not always. And so there's something about learning at a fairly young age to walk into someone's home and to ask them about, you know, who they are and how they're doing with the understanding that the whole conversation is framed around the fact that they are probably within, you know, a fairly short time period going to die. And so, you know, it's with them, but also their families you're talking to. Um, You're part of the team with a nurse and a social worker and other people that, um, so, I mean, that is, when I look back on it, I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was doing that at, you know, whatever age. But it, I think it's made me, um, I mean, I already pretty fearless in the sense (laughs) of like, if these folks who are at the end stage of their life can invite a stranger in there to their home and talk about this okay I can do I can do a lot of a lot of things but um yeah it's just it's such a gift when you think about that so if you were to tell students at Lafayette like one message about faith or Mm. continuing on or just anything at all like what would you say sure um I think gosh so many things you know, there, there are definitely a group of students, and, you know, you two are among them, that really um, are pretty actively pursuing uh, faith practices while in school. And not everybody's there, and that's 
totally fine and understandable. I think it's helpful for folks to um, imagine that maybe um, being part of a faith community of some kind is something they will do, you know, at some point in their life. I also, this is probably not, this probably is going to make some people think this is terrible, but it doesn't actually matter if you believe in anything to be a part of a faith community. Like, I think there are so many benefits to having that group of people in your life, whether you get married or have children or whatever, but having those friends that you see on a regular basis who care about you, mm-hmm. singing in a public space, extremely important. I really think singing in a group of people is extremely important. Um, eating food created in other people's kitchens that they carry to a room somewhere and you sit at long tables and eat together. If, if, you, if it's not a faith community, find a community that has those things. Yeah. People singing food. Those are things that I really think are important. And I just, it's, a hard, it's hard to be a grown-up. It's hard to be anyone. And so to have those people out there that... Um, you know, you can do those things with is is huge. Um, and if you if you pray and you read scripture or whatever it might be, those are also really good things, and I highly commend them. But if nothing else, just find that group of people who you can be with. Um, you know, and again, when I think of my kids and you know being little and you know somebody giving them donut holes at church or you know those kind of things is. Just really, really important. Um, you know, going to camp. These are these are experiences that I hope, as folks become less religious, and I understand, and I can really do understand a lot of reasons why folks might choose not to do that. But I really find, think finding that community is just key. Um, you know, and there are, there are uh, atheist congregations out there that do this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, singing, uh, what's that uh, group where you go? It's choir, choir, choir. Do you all know about this? It's almost like a concert you go to. You know, you buy a ticket and you go, but you're in a big venue and you sing with big thousands of people. You know, do these kinds of things. I think uh, it's good for your your spirit to have those moments. I think that's one of the things I do miss a lot during the pandemic is singing with the congregation it's not the same when I make my kids you know sing in our house when those parts of the service come <laughs> up. I like get real close like are you singing David? like are you moving your mouth and so yeah it's it's not exactly no lip syncing here yeah, we're singing <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna just sit there and watch the, yeah. the yeah. music guy sing up there right exactly so. never. though it's so hard with zoom to do any kind of uh, singing together or like it's always lagging prayers and somebody's always yeah, yeah and the person sometimes the person leading goes really really fast and they go too slow and yeah so that's it is an awkward um that's an awkward thing to try to to try to do well um unless there's anything else i i, I think we're good here thank you so much for yeah and you. i guess i just you know if other students just people i love it when people just come to meet me or send me an email and say they want to meet me. You don't have to have some great, um, you know, grand 
conversation you want to have. Sometimes it's just fun uh, to talk and get to know. I love them. Again, I look forward to having coffee dates. And, I can't you know, wait. All these kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Well, this has been so cool. Very yeah. nice. Well, yeah, just thank you so much for for allowing us to get to know you and for being so open. I, I really, this conversation has been amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could go on for like hours Yeah, now. seriously. Yeah, okay, yeah, oh, you can have part two, part three. Yeah, <laughs> Perfect, to be continued. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.